Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. I didn't look at the calendar when I said to Mark I would preach today. Then I realised it was school holidays, so I thought, well, half the people will be away. It's amazing how school dictates how we go to church, isn't it? It's funny. That's what happens. That's okay. And yet when I was preparing this message, and I think Mark has a rather dry sense of humour when there's four chapters in the book of Ruth and we're looking at it over four weeks, but today we're just going to work, look at the first six, seven verses. And I looked at it and I read it and I thought, oh, crumbs, what's there? But there is something there and I think that's the difference about God's word. It's a living word. It's alive. And I just had that incredible feeling as I was preparing this that there may be one person here or watching it on TV that just needs something like this right now. I think it does us all good. I'm not saying tune out, but uh, this could be just what you need and I pray that it will be helpful to you. Um, I want to thank Sue, first of all, for her contribution in the um, newsletter this week. A little, tiny little summary about the last five or six weeks of the messages that we've received from Beck and uh, from Sue, and uh, asking that really deep but profound question. You can look at that. But thanks to Sue and to Rebecca for our series on the, uh, the Bible and mental health. Really interesting stuff. And then uh, Sue sharing two of the first two of four that she's going to bring to us on. We call them holy disciplines, but it's more than that. It's 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 helpful, good stuff that we need. Good reminders to live a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus. So thank you for that. Yeah, we're going to look at the book of Ruth, Um, and it's a it's an interesting book because it's actually a classic short story. Uh, If you took the the, the book of Ruth out of the Bible, the Bible really just is a library of 66 books. If you took the book out, it would be a little paperback pamphlet almost, four chapters. You can sit it in, read it in a sitting, read it in the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, but it's a classic short story. In fact, I would encourage you over the next four weeks to read the book of Ruth through more than once, more than once a week. Read it through. Let it, it's so short, take this time over the next four weeks to let it saturate into your life. I will guarantee, in fact, I'd put money on it. I would guarantee that every time you read through, you will find something new and exciting, deep and profound that you can put into your life. That's God's living word. That's what his Holy Spirit does. So I'd encourage you to read it over the next several months, over the next, uh, several times over the next month, so that you can, as it were, like a, like a face washer, wring it out, squeeze it, get everything out of it that God's got it in for you. It's a powerful little book. In fact, it has been described as the best short story ever written. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Worth reading, worth reading. The book of Ruth is read publicly in synagogues around the world as part of the annual Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks, or we call it Pentecost. Every year, the book of Ruth is read. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert here. 
because I'm going to tell you how you make a good story, okay? This is, this is a little bit of extra education. Um, a guy called Eugene Lowry, he didn't invent this, but he wrote a book about it, so he claims the, uh, the privilege of being quick enough to be the first person to do that, and so he got the naming rights. It's actually the five things you need to make a good story, a great yarn. Interesting. And most stories are about this, are done this way, okay? Jesus used this method, so it goes back a long way, but it's also in the book of Ruth. Jesus used it during parables to explain heavy theological points in such a way that the average person could understand it. Lowry's loop, as we call it, ensures we have a great yarn, we have a, a cracker of a story, that we have a well-told episode. I'll go through it very quickly, because it's really simple. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, we're all pretty familiar with that story. Man was going from Jericho, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, got run over by a couple of thieves and left for dying on the road. A couple of religious heavies came along, but the work of the church was too busy, so they left him to there to rot in the sun. And eventually a Samaritan, one of the despised people from the Jews' point of view, stopped, tended this man, looked after him, put him on, the, on his donkey, took him to an inn, a hotel, and left some money to the innkeeper and said, look after him until he gets better. Okay, so that's the story. The first one is oops. Oops is where our equilibrium is broken over. The fellow on his way to Jericho from Jerusalem, walking along, lovely day for a nice walk, and suddenly his world falls apart. That's the oops. Then there's the ug. No, go back, go back, go back, stay on the loop. Then there's the ug, and the ug is we, just, we explore it a bit deeper, and it talks about that you know he wasn't any good, and then these people came and could have helped him, but they didn't. And then the aha moment comes. Along comes the Samaritan and looks after him. Oh, wow. And then there's the, yeah, we're sort of get, getting toward the end of the story. He goes and puts him in the hotel and pays for him till he's better. And then there's the wee bit at the end where we say, oh, everything ends happily ever after. So we go through the loop and it goes, oops, ug, yeah, wee, oh, aha, yeah, wee. So it all goes through those little things like that. The book of Ruth does exactly the same thing. Unfortunately, Mark, in his sense of humour, Pastor Mark, divided the book up into four parts and he only gave me the oops bit. <laughs> but we're going to have a look at that because God is giving us something in that as well. Have a look as you read it many times this month and see if you can see where the oops, ug, yeah, we, ah, 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 yeah, and we go and see what, what happens. I can tell you one of the things that makes the book of Ruth such a good story is that the plot actually is so well told. The plot is told and it really runs around a number of conversations between three people. Between a lady called Naomi, her daughter-in-law Ruth, and a man called Boaz. It's like a short play, but it's these conversations that almost what is not being said, which comes through so clearly. When was it written? It's a funny book because it doesn't have a date on it, of course. And the book in the Hebrew Bible, in what we call the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, 
They're in a different order to the Old Testament. So when the Christian fathers put the Old Testament together, the Christian Old Testament, they put it in between Judges and Samuel, 1 Samuel. In the Tanakh, it's in a group, of thing, uh, a group called the Writings, but it's still the same book. It doesn't give us a date, but we, we come out of the book of Judges, and in the last verse in Judges, it said there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's a pretty heavy way to finish a book. In other words, the world's falling to bits around people. And in the first couple of verses in Ruth, it says, in the time of the judges. So it's around 1,100 years before Jesus was born, probably set around the time just before Samuel comes onto the scene. But what about the book itself? Why was it written? Why did God see this little story being so important that it needs to go into his word for his world right across the cultures, right across the class system. What's so great about this little story? What is God speaking to us about? A lot of people have suggested different things. Um, Lessons on kindness, on faithfulness, lessons on love and loyalty, uh, maybe a sense of rightness. Um, Yeah, that'd be all right. Uh, But Diane Jacobson, an American Old Testament scholar, She points out something that occurs no fewer than seven times in this short story. And that is the blessings of God upon his creation. Without giving it away for all the other speakers in the next uh, three weeks, in chapter one, it talks about Naomi blessing her daughters-in-law, praying a prayer over them. In chapter two, Boaz is blessed. You don't need to know who these people are just yet. Boaz is a farmer and his workers bless him. He was a good boss. Chapter 2, Naomi blesses Boaz for being very generous. Chapter 3, Boaz blesses Ruth for her unselfish attitudes. In chapter 4, the town elders bless Boaz in finding a wonderful wife. Ooh, I'm starting to give the, the plot away a bit here. And also in chapter 4, the women of the town bless Naomi in her old age. It is a happily ever after story, but there's a lot of downs before there's a lot of ups. Dr. Jacobson says these blessings, more more than the direct actions of God, point out how God works in the lives of people and in history. In fact, in the book of Ruth, God is only mentioned twice. In chapter 1 and in chapter 4, and both times, God is mentioned over events that people would see as natural. In chapter 1, it's about God providing food to the Israelites, provides food for all of us. And in chapter 4, God provides a baby boy. So what? God provides lots of people with baby boys. That's the only time God gets a mention. But actually, God comes out very clearly all the way through the book. So let's have a look, think about the setting. What were the circumstances in which these characters, we've talked about Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. What's the story? Let's let's use a bit of imagination. We're going to read the first seven verses of chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah 
left his home and went to live for a while in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Marlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or a husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. It just sets the scene. You're gonna have to wait and come back next week for the story. But here we see the story is set through the times of the judges when there was no king who could rally the 12 tribes of Israel. And so as it says in Judges 21, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a bit like Australia. Well, we've got a king, sort of, but people are doing their own thing largely, aren't they? We've forgotten God. This situation that the, uh, the Israelites found themselves in went for about 400 years, quite a number of generations. Each of their tribes doing their own thing, and usually it wasn't what God wanted them to do as his people. And so God raised up a judge, a person, male or female, as a deliverer, only when judgment came on them in the form of an invader. So an invader would come in from somewhere, have a go at some of them, not all of them necessarily, not the whole nation, and they would all cry out to God. They all remembered God in the bad times, and God in his love and his mercy raised up a person and empowered them to be a great leader, a military leader, which freed them from the oppressors and then settled everybody back down again. And then it would happen somewhere else. And then it happened somewhere else. And it happened a different time over those 400 years. The judges functioned as both military leaders in times of crisis, but also as local leaders. They administered political and legal justice. But it became a cycle. Do you see that in your life at times? You get into cycles where good times, bad times, good times, bad times, times of plenty, times of drought, this was what was going on. Now, less than seven or eight times, we get this, this almost another loop, not Lowry's loop, a different one, where of good times, failure, running away from God, failure, invasion, deliverance, good times, and then off to go again, tumbling along as they were, because they'd largely left God out of their lives. Didn't affect the whole nation, it was rather one or two tribes. So the judges dealt largely with local affairs and the country did not have a lineage of prophetic leaders to take over from Joshua. There was no system in place to keep the people as a nation walking in the ways of God. The times of judges must have been really difficult times to live in. Weak and poor leadership, nobody giving lead, nobody setting a goal, nobody 
rising and wanting the nation to be great. So people wandered away from God and often follow the local gods. Now, that's a bit of a lesson rather than a thing about the Bible, but I need us to share that with you or we're going to miss much of the teachings in the book of Ruth. For its place in Israel's history gives it its importance and value in what we learn about God as our Heavenly Father. I spoke earlier of Diane Jacobson's belief about what we see as God's providence, his acts of blessing throughout the book. I tend to agree with her. But what's a blessing? We hear the word, but what does it actually mean? When you sneeze, somebody might say, God bless you. You think, oh, that's nice. But if you know the story, it's not nice. It comes out of the plague back in Europe many years ago. And if you started sneezing, you probably caught the plague and you were headed for a hole in the ground. So people are saying, well, God bless you. It's all over. See you later. Or we might say, God bless as somebody leaves. We've seen them, friends of state or family. We say, God bless. They're wonderful words, but, but do we mean it? But what do they actually mean? Blessing is actually, the dictionary form is asking a special favour. Asking a mercy or a benefit on somebody or of somebody. That's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it kind? It's filled with mercy and grace. Blessing can also be a prayer. A prayer for divine protection or aid. It's the sort of thing we do pray. Lord, we always use the word not sure what it means, but we use it in the right text. We, Lord, bless them. May they feel your presence. May you grow them. Paul often uses it in his letters. At the beginning, he prays a blessing. May they know the grace and the presence of God, the mercy of God in their lives every day. The problem here is that at first glance, Naomi seems to be receiving everything but a blessing, particularly from God. First of all, they're in Bethlehem and the drought comes, the famine comes, no food, no, not able to get anywhere. They have to go and chase work and actually go to another country in order to find that. So Elimelech and the family head off towards Moab. They made the difficult decision to lift everything up, to leave their family, to leave their clan, their deity that they worshipped and go to a location simply because that was where food is. And it meant they had to migrate to another country. For the Moabites were not followers of God. In fact, the person Moab, of whom the country was named after, was the son of Lot. You know, Abraham and Lot? He was Abraham's nephew. And Moab had been conceived when Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. That's pretty crummy, isn't it? And so Ruth, though she was a Moabitess, was actually genetically linked to Israel through Uncle Lot and then Uncle Abraham and goes through that way. Well, I raised ahead of myself there. The country Moab is located southeast of Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea in what we'd call modern day Jordan. And about the only thing that comes out of Moab of any use in the Bible is that that's where Moses climbed Mount Nebo and looked across the Jordan Valley into Israel into Canaan, knowing that he would never go there himself. And it was on Mount Nebo in Moab that he passed away. Back to Naomi and Elimelech. 
They made their way to Moab and they settled there. Obviously, there was enough food for everybody. And another blessing came along and it came upon them, uh, uh, sorry, a blessing, another blessing that, that, that we as Christian parents pray about over our children is that our children will surrender their lives to God, of course, and his love. And the second little one is that they'd find a partner in life that also loves God and the Lord Jesus. So their prayers were answered that way. That was a blessing because both of their sons, Marlon and Kilion, found good women among the Moabites. The Moabites worshipped the Baals and the Asherah, the fertility gods. But here were two women who were prepared to move in and probably convert to the, to the Hebrew faith. One of these ladies was called Orpah and the other Ruth. And even the, the name Ruth means compassionate friend. It's wonderful how we'll see that come out. But like the child's story about good news and bad news, do you remember that one, the story about the fellows in the aeroplane? Oh, that's good news. No, he fell out of the aeroplane. That's bad news. No, it's good news. Really? Why? Because he landed on a haystack. Well, that's good news. No, it was bad news because the haystack had a pitchfork stuck in it. Well, that's bad news. No, it's good news because he missed the pitchfork. You know, that story goes on and on and on. The book of Ruth is a bit like that. Good news, then bad news, then good news and bad news. Does that ring a bell in your life? Does that mean something to you? Why is my life full of bad news? Why is my life at times full of good news when other people around me are suffering? Can you identify with Naomi? Naomi's husband passed away. Well, husbands do that occasionally. What's different about that? But in a short time, both Orpah and Ruth lost their husbands too. And unfortunately, back in those days, the tragedy is that without a husband or a son, a woman has nothing to live on. They have no livable income. There was no social security around in those days for widows and single mothers or anything like that. And in fact, we know that often many women were forced into prostitution just to survive. They were tough times. If you didn't have a husband, if you didn't have a man around the house, you were on your own. And within a short time, here's Naomi, faithful to God, finding herself through no fault of her own, again in the doldrums. But now she's also got her daughters-in-law with her because they've left their father's family when they married. That's part of the custom. What is she to do? What are they to do? Pretty tough stuff. Are you going through that? Are you going through times like that where it just seems God is so far away? You've done everything you believe is faithful. It's not that God owes you something because you know, as we sang in the song earlier, just what God has done with us through Jesus. But our world falls apart around us, not through anything we've done wrong or anything that we've supposed to have done and not done. That's where Naomi was. I think we can identify with that. But, it's a great word, but, but there was some good news. News came that informed Naomi that God had blessed the area around Bethlehem where she had once lived and the people were again able to make a living. 
back in her hometown. That was always her intention. The intention was after the famine, they'd go back, return there one day. So she decided to do the obvious, to return to her hometown of Bethlehem and try a new start there. At least she would be among family. With that settled, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law prepared to go to Bethlehem. Think of Orpah and Ruth and all that they had to do to uplift and move away from their families to go across into Israel, to worship a new God in a new way. All the cultures would have been different. Change knocks some people around pretty bad. So where does that leave us? What could we possibly take away from a message that almost is an open ending? We're left with Naomi and Orpah and Ruth on the road. That's the end. That's the end of the passage that Mark's given us. Seems to be involved with so much bad news, but I think that that's just the point, friends. Because when we read these opening words of this little wonderfully told story, you may have identified with the experiences that affected Naomi. I think we've all had to endure bad news at times, haven't we? That's just life. We, we quickly learn to live with that sort of thing. But often, if we see it occasionally, we're able to pick ourselves up after an event. Friends gather around us. We're given time, the scars will heal. They'll remain scars. You don't forget these things, but, but we do move on. But here, as in Naomi's situation, here is a woman that is dealt blow after blow after blow that challenged her faith. Bam, bam, bam. It's like a standing in a boxing ring and just taking it all. And we read, actually, a little later on, we'll read that Naomi really feels this. This knocked her sideways. Always, it seemed, through no fault of her own, she was pushing, we'd say, pushing water uphill with a rake, working feverishly but seeing nothing for her actions. Yes, the occasional event we can take, but when these knocks become thick and fast and hitting us, maybe the sudden death of a loved one or the unexpected loss of a job, a long-term relationship that suddenly breaks down, the list can go on. It seems that every time we get up, we get knocked down again. After a while, you just don't want to get up again. You're tired, you're beaten. And it's times like this when God can seem a long way away. Our prayers appear to mean nothing. They just seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. And we, like Job, believe we're innocent. We don't deserve such punishment as if that's what it's about. It's not, but sometimes we can feel that. And if you've not been there yourselves, you probably know someone who has been there or might even be there right now. And it's difficult, isn't it, to offer answers. God does seem far away. I believe, though, that we can take something away here. And it's in my suggestion to you earlier. Can I ask you, I won't hold you to it, but make a deal with God can I ask you to decide to read this small but powerful and exciting book more than once over the next four weeks? It'll, it'll, it's encouraging you to get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea 
and sit down and just read through it. Maybe try different versions. Don't just stick with the Bible version that you normally use. Look for others. Go onto the internet and look for different ways. There's some lovely, the Jerusalem Bible is, is a Hebrew interpretation, a Jewish interpretation on it. Read something a little bit different and see if God speaks to you that way as well. God's spirit may speak with you in some surprising ways. If the book of Ruth is, as I'm suggesting, about blessings, God will bless you as you have a look and as you read through it. And he may just bless you as you offer him your time, asking for him to reveal himself to you in a real way. We sang earlier, or was it something that that uh, Daryl gave us, be still, the, the passage, be still and know that I am God. Let God bless you as you offer to bless him, to, to talk together, to listen. I read recently, the first step of prayer is listening. Give God a chance to speak to you. Give him a chance to reveal himself to you in a new and refreshing way in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, on that particular day over the next month. After all, God blessing us is what it's all about. That's why he made us, he made us to bless us with his company. We can make the most of that. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we, we just first of all want to say thank you for your living word. This story happened, this account happened over 3,000 years ago in another country, in another culture, speaking a different language to what we speak. And yet it means something to us today because you are an unchanging God. You made us, you know us, you love us, and you choose to bless us even through the most difficult circumstances. And we want to say thank you. And Father, I pray for maybe there's somebody online, maybe there's somebody here this morning that is going through particularly difficult times. They, they feel like they've done nine rounds in a boxing ring. They're tired, they're weary, they're discouraged. May the book of Ruth be a blessing to them as they maybe identify with Naomi and Ruth. Thank you for blessing us today by sharing this part of love with us this morning. We want to grow in you and be your people in this place. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.